Welcome back to Martins and More. My name's Marty Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And today's episode is brought to you by the Martin D42. The reimagined D42 is constructed of premium East Indian rosewood back and sides and a solid top shelf spruce top. Its pearl inlay sets it apart from many of the more simplistic Martin dreads, but under the hood, it delivers the same forward shifted scallop brace goodness that all the current 40 series Martins are now famous for. For more information on the legendary D42, please visit marismusic.com or contact us today. You're listening to Songwriting Part 2. When we last heard from our humble spoon at the end of Songwriting Part 1 last week, he was telling us all about his tune called Seven Pistols. Let's take a moment now and listen to a sample from that great spoon tune. Midnight is the veil. Moonlight marks the trail. Once we're out of sight, it's through the night. Now old screams in flight, up and gone, right till dawn. Here comes the old six of Okay, so it's now your turn to uh, reveal all the secrets behind the uh, one of your better songs, which is called Better Days. <laughs> That's the trick, folks. If you don't have a lot of good songs and you put the word better in it, it's one of the better ones, and somebody has to compliment you like that on a radio program. <laughs> so thank you for saying it that way. And it's, it's kind of cute. This was, this was known as number six for the longest time. This is from my first CD, back in 1997, I want to say. And I made a bunch of copies and, and sold them and gave them away. And I was playing in, in one band all my life from like the late 80s up until 1995. And what happened, put yourself in, in my headspace, you're, you've been playing in the same band for all this time and the band's getting busier and busier. And we never got to the point where it was, anybody noticed us, but we went from playing a little bit to playing a lot to playing all the time. And at that stage, we five guys in the band have, you know, six different ideas what to do next. Do we keep doing what we're doing? Do we completely change it up? Do we try to get more work? Do we go to try to find an agency? Do we try to get a manager? And everybody in their, I was probably in my mid to late 20s, everybody's at that same age. And, and some people are settling down and, and having a family. Some people aren't. Some people are happy where they're working, some people aren't. And to fast forward to a lot of the boring part, I decided for some reason, I, it just hit me one day. I don't have to be in this same band all the time. I can certainly leave anytime I want. And I eventually did, and I think it was 1995. I quit that band and decided to find some other musicians and not necessarily anybody better per se with like the song title, but I wanted to try something different. And if they didn't want to go and, and try to make some progression and find more places to play and break out of our little area and go to Lehigh Valley or wherever it was that I thought we should do. Maybe I'll do it with some other people. 
And it wasn't necessarily a nasty breakup, but it, it wasn't entirely pleasurable either. We, we didn't want to stop being a band, but they kept going and I left. So the band that I put together, uh, I found some other musicians locally and it wasn't anything where, where I made a deliberate move to find a better drummer, a better bass player, a better anything, just, just new people. And I, I put together a band and we called it Better Days. And fast forward, uh, one of my friends actually said later, your next band should be called the Even Better Days and keep doing that. And it, of course it wasn't. <laughs> um, and and uh, I thought that was kind of cute and I never used it. But we had a probably a two year run where we, we weren't any better or even really much different from the first band I was in. And it was the lesson I learned that uh, you could get four or five more people to play with that want to do what you want to try and it either might not work or it might not be what you hoped it was going to be but that band was called better days and around that time i was recording my first album i wrote the song better days that was heavily inspired by the expression of well then i'll go do something else i don't have to sit here and i don't i don't have to be stuck where i don't want to be so it's this it's this anthem at least to me where uh you know some of the lyrics are one of the lyrics that i'm actually embarrassed by now because it's the whole album is my first opportunity trying to write songs so where maybe more prolific people would write for a couple of years and then they'd really hone their skill and hone their craft and then they'd write 20 songs and pick the best 10. i was the opposite that's a song okay i got one that's a song i got two i only need nine and i hurried and i really was so interested in having nine or ten songs on a cd way more than I was interested in putting songs on, on record that I could go back 10, 15, 20 years from then and say that I'm really proud as, as a songwriter. It was anything but. It was just me trying uh, my hand at it. And some of the lyrics, if I'm remembering right, were, uh, there's a pretty little girl I've really learned to like a lot. I love the way that phrasing happened. And when the whole thing was done, I remember Lori saying to me, ah, I don't like that that much. That's I don't know if I like that. And I said, well, I'm not trying to like bring home the point every time you hear that, that I'm trying to like you. Like it's, it's certainly just taking uh, liberty and, <laughs> and, and finding words that sound like they sound right way, you know, that's 91% of it. And only 9% of it is, you know, we, we're young in our relationship and we don't know each other that long. And it's, it's, I'm trying to put poetry together. I'm not literally trying to say, you know, there's a meaning here that you got to really latch onto, but she thought that was a little bit off color and laughed about it later but it, it's a song that i really whether you believe in it or not when you hear me sing that on the record or, or at one of our shows it's it's me wanting to go and and do new things and there might be another line that's something about uh, i might not make it but i really want the shot it's this feeling of i'm i'm pretty sick of being in this band that's just going to do the same thing next saturday and the saturday after that and what am i going to do this till i'm 92. i didn't like the fact that i felt trapped on this silly path that wasn't making any progress so the song better days really is me telling myself these are the better days like don't don't expect in 10 years it's going to be nicer do it now put whatever you have in mind that's going to be better when it when the time's right we'll make the time now so it's, it's one of those things and the only thing i really regret when i recorded it at a, a friend's studio in lansford uh, at the time i was going there once a week and i was you know, I don't know if it was every Tuesday I would go for a few hours. Uh, it was a little bit slower than I wanted it to be, and I'll, I'll never forget this. He was like, is that is that the speed you want? Because now I have the guitar part down, the drums are down. Now we're going to build this. We're going to finish this song over the next months. 
are you sure this is the speed you want this to be at? And I thought, that's weird. I did like eight or nine songs here, and that's the only one he asked me. Are you sure this isn't too slow? And I just wasn't sure, so I answered him, eh, I, I, that, that's what I want. And I, I would do it faster. I, I probably have done it faster every time since. And it's sort of a, uh, one of my good friends that helped me mix it said the only thing he didn't like, the song kind of has this, these are the better days. And it just, the chorus falls flat. The chorus literally has a melody that ends lower. And it sounds like you're boring and you don't, and you're not having a good time. And are you sure they're better? Like it's this whole thing where you're singing better and you're, you're, the words are better, but the melody is like, it's literally dipping. And I thought, eh, I, I don't, I don't know how to fix that, so I'm not going to try. And that's you're talking 1997, and now I'm I'm criticizing it this long after. It comes back to your point where 30 some years later you can improve something. I would have recorded that song at a faster tempo, a little bit, slightly, and I would have probably, uh, with anything I've recorded back then, I would love to go back and analyze it with with what I know now. And you can probably appreciate this spoon. My appreciation for good songwriting grew and grew and grew over the years. My skill for doing it didn't keep up with what I thought was good. So what appeased me when I wrote a song in 1997 and I thought, that sounds good. I wouldn't think it sounds good. Now I'd want to fix it and finesse it. And I, I was easier to, it was easier to please myself with that's good enough way back then. And if you would have told me you're going to own a music store in 20 years and you're going to be talking about crafting songs oh gosh i i'm not that proud of what i did back then to say that i'm a songwriter but i really i'm, I'm so grateful that i got the opportunity and now that now that i know what i think is a good song now that i know more about who i would consider great songwriters i i hurried through some things that you know, stuff's on tape, and I still run into friends that love that song. So I'm so flattered because they might not like it if I would go and make it the way I think it should be. Might make it be a miss. So who who knows? Some of the, some of the best songs probably don't automatically please the writer. But that's that's kind of my my anecdote about that song. And it's it's one of the it's the other one people know if if you approach me at a gig and we play covers most of the night. That that song gets requested sometimes. Well, you've brought up, of course, many points of in interest in that. But first of all, I've always called it uh, Better Days. Is that not the name of the song? You implied that that was not the original name of the song. Oh, I'm sorry. That is. Yeah, that is. Okay. All right. I thought you said you had originally called it something else, but I, uh, at the very beginning of what you were saying. Okay. So, well, I'm glad. But, but those are those kind of songs that sometimes have a different title, but everybody calls them by the, the phrase that stands out. Um, that certainly happens, and um, you you know actually you've put yourself in good company because I remember clearly re reading a uh, in an interview with John Lennon where he uh, it was right at a bad time for him uh, to be asked those kind of questions about the Beatles, but he was completely dismissive about so many uh, songs they brought up uh, because he felt like it was you know. Tr you know, teeny bop trite. Well, for uh, us growing up listening to it, a lot of those songs are some of our favorite songs. <laughs> and and he, but he was in a different place at that time, and and you know, and I was trying to write about things that you know he felt were important on a broader, either personally or in a broader sense. And um, and I'm sure there's lots and lots of very accomplished, famous, uh, you know, 
millionaire musicians and songwriters out there that uh, would have said a lot of what you just said about some of their early songs that ended up on early records. Um, and, you know, and a lot of other people that don't qualify for their, you know, their lofty uh, accolades. Uh, but I know a songwriter here in New York City, or he actually lives out in Portland now, but because his, his wife inherited a really nice Victorian house, but he still comes back uh, for years and years and years. He comes back to record and, and perform in New York City. His name's Don Ralph, and his uh, Don Rolf, actually. But for years, his stage name was Don Ralph because that's how everybody said his name. <laughs> but um, he had a band. He has a band called Life in a Blender. That is, uh, I think their first record may have come out in 1985. And, um, and uh, I used to gig with him with my rock band in the 90s and, and uh, late 80s and early 90s. And he still, you know, I saw them recently here and they're just, they're recording a, another album now. And I had mentioned the song that I, I liked a lot that they haven't done in a long time. And he actually said to me in an email that, that he was somewhat embarrassed by some of the lyrics in it. And, and you know, that's not how I felt about it. And wow. that's not how, you know, uh, same sort of thing where, where there's lots and lots of people who want to hear those old songs. And, um, and I understand how artists sometimes uh, want to move on from that. I remember seeing Jackson Brown this must have been, I was here on an internship at a, at a off-Broadway theater, so that had to have been in 1987, to date myself. Um, <laughs> and, I went, and he was at uh, Radio City, and he was doing a, a little solo set in the middle of a big band set, and, um, and somebody yelled out, These Days. And he, unfortunately, kind of embarrassed the person by saying why he would, doesn't do that song anymore. And how, you know, and kind of like, you know, the, what we had talked about. Because it wow. was a very early, early song for him. And I, I don't remember how old he was when he wrote it. But, uh, but um, you know, it was recorded by uh, Greg Allman before, before it had come out on a Jackson Brown album. Yeah. And, um, but, of course, he does that song all the time now. So, <laughs> again, you know, we have an artist in a different place, you know, thinking differently about what he had done in the past and, and uh, you know, and had come around to see the value of it, as you have with this song, because you have so many people who ask you, you know, for this song, even if, even if you feel like there's, you know, things that you might have done differently. So very cool, very cool. So why don't we listen to a sample of Better Days?
So it's time for us to play Martins and Moore's version of 20 questions. And in this episode, the smart guy gets to ask the wise guy up to 20 questions to guess what guitar the wise guy is thinking of. And the smart guy gets up to three guesses as to which model it might be. So, smart guy. <laughs> is it like when you rub the lamp from a genie? <laughs> Similar, yes. See, he is the smart guy. Okay, Mari the smart guy is going to ask Spoon the wise guy uh, some questions. Okay, is it bigger than a jumbo? Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. That, that's a stupid question. That's a stupid first question. <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> My mind went completely backwards at the thought of a good idea and turns it 180 degrees. Uh, all right. Is it bigger than a triple O? Yes. Is it a 14th fret dreadnought? Yes. Does it have scallop racing? Yes. Does it have a bound fingerboard? No. Is it an HD 28? No, that's the first guess. Is it a D18? No, that's the second guess. I'm regretting a lot of my decisions to ask for clues, when to ask for names. Are the back and sides rosewood? No. Are the back and sides solid? Yes. the back and sides mahogany yes that's 10 questions is this guitar in the road series no is this guitar in the 17 series no is this guitar in the 16 series no. Wow. Um, scallop bracing, mahogany back and sides that's solid. Is it a custom? No. Is it in the standard series? No. That's 15 questions. Is it in the modern deluxe series? 16 questions, no. Is it in the authentic series? 17 questions, no. Is it in the 15 series? 18 questions, no. I believe I can hear him sweating from here. <laughs> 
I'm gonna fail this. I'm not gonna get this right. Is it an X series? Can't be. No, 19 questions. Is it a D41? It can't be. That's your third guess. And my 20th question. And the drum roll, as the answer is... The D Junior 10E Bass. Oh, <laughs> mother... You can edit that out, you. can't you? <laughs> Son of a... The D Junior 10 E bass is an amazingly affordable and amazingly good short-scale bass guitar with a 24-inch scale and special strings that were designed by Martin. Um, these, uh, they are so much fun to play. You'll have to check out uh, the, the videos at Mari's Music. Um, so much fun to play. You can get it in a, in a burst top or in a plain top, solid Sapelli back and side, solid spruce top. Uh, really super cool. Uh, Mari and I had a great time playing them when they came out, when we went to the factory, and also playing them at uh, Mars Music in my last visit. So uh, good fun, good fun. And uh, I believe um, I am just uh, leaving you in my dust when it comes to 420 questions. <laughs> Well, I had a good time playing the D Junior basses with you at the Martin Factory, but I did not have a good time playing this game. <laughs> ah, so, so yeah, so here we are uh, still in part two of um, the songwriting uh, podcast. So where do we go next, Captain My Captain? Well, we're going to need to click our heels three times and travel back to the present where we join our regularly scheduled podcast, Already in Progress. I want to ask you about another great song called Twice in a Lifetime. What can you tell me about that favorite spoon track? Ah, uh, uh, well, that's, uh, that's a, a very good choice of yours because of the choice that you had made or that I had made in asking you about Better Days. I will say I've, I actually have truncated the title to twice from Twice in a Lifetime because there are just apparently a million songs named Twice in a Lifetime out there. So uh, with your better days, you were uh, writing about real life stuff, even if you fictionalized part of it in the song, uh, something that was really on your mind, that was really part of your real life, that really mattered to you, uh, both of where you were at that time and where you wanted to go. And I think there is a profound difference between writing a song like a Seven Pistols, which was me, you know, trying to write a cinematic song like Doolin Dalton's, like the Eagles did, um, you know, that and basing it on films that I grew up watching, like Butch Casting the Sundance Kid and, and Shoot at, you know, Shoot at the OK Corral and all that. And a song that's actually about something real life that happens to you that you're writing about uh, yourself or about people that you know. And uh, Twice in a Lifetime is a true story, uh, unfortunately. And uh, it's actually about... Uh, cool. It's about a flight nurse from Houston, Texas, who had come up to help out after the attack on the World Trade Center. And her, her 
professional life was spent on emergency rescue helicopters uh, that would go out to the oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico and other things like that. And she came up to do uh, triage work uh, after the attack in New York City in, on September 11th. And I ran into her. Uh, basically, I like to help out-of-towners with maps in those days. And she didn't need any help. She would have you know. She was perfectly capable of helping herself. But uh, that's how we started talking. And, uh, and ultimately led to my first ever long-distance relationship. And so that's where it came from. And that was uh, a tune that happened after, you know, we had come to our senses about the long-distance relationship and before we uh, continued the long-distance relationship. And, uh, but anyway, uh, that's where that uh, tune came from. The song and the lyrics. Um, I, I actually started the second verse first, and this is the, I've done this a lot, and I think other people have done this, moved verses around because it made sense. I've even nice. moved verses around of other songs that other people wrote because I thought it made better sense. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that song, uh, the second verse was what came out with first, where I'm talking about her. The first verse, I'm talking about me, and uh, I added that later. And it was one of those songs that I guess was fairly easy to write because to write the story of it, to write what I would call the prose or the or the you know non-rhyming poetry version of it, and then I you know I had to go back and engineer it to really turn it into a song with song lyrics that 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 uh, worked with melody and worked with you know worth worked with the the theme and um, and the chorus, and that's uh, similar to your situation. That's a song that I've done uh, a zillion times on my own, but I much prefer doing it. Uh, in a band situation, or at the very least, with at least a couple people to sing harmony on it. And I also recorded that. That's on that CD that you had mentioned that I made up for people at Martinfest, early Martinfest. And I think I brought it to the second Martinfest, in fact. I do it way too slow. I recorded it on a, our friend Tony Phillips's uh, D1220, which was uh, a long-time popular 12-string that Martin had made a 12-fret short-scale um, mahogany and uh, dreadnought and just very rare style 20 guitar and I don't remember why off the top of my head I should know this why they called it style 20 instead of style 18 and I'm trying to remember and there was a good reason for it but I can't remember what it is now some little tiny thing about the uh, cosmetics or the uh, or maybe the wood, I don't remember now, but the, maybe the wood of the bridge, I can't remember. But anyway, it was a D1220. But it, I recorded it way slower than I do it now. And I'm going to uh, provide a, a clip and a video that goes back to when I had my own band called Spoonville and some very cool guys that I have continued to, uh, several, you know, there's four guys playing with me um, three of the four went on to be in the Highland Shatners with me, and um, and the uh, Penny Whistle guy, um, 
It's particularly good, and he got too busy in the Celtic music world to, to have time for us anymore, which is one of the reasons I've never made a, a, a successful record, band recording of Chinatown. So Chinatown's never appeared, you know, uh, the way I'd like it. So hopefully I'm going to record uh, both Chinatown and uh, Twice uh, with him and the other guys before I get too much older and try to put it on a CD. Let's take a moment and listen to a sample of Twice. Okay, speaking of songs that people like and ask for, uh, tell me about your song, Turning Away. Before I do that, can I turn away from that question and give you a trivia question? Absolutely, let's have a trivia question. Now this is probably something you can get more than one correct answer, so if you think you've heard this and you answer differently but you're not wrong, please let us know in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. But I'm going to cite one of my favorite songwriters because I saw him say this in an interview. Who is famous for the quote, great songs aren't written, they're rewritten. Fascinating, fascinating. I am going to try to think about your favorite songwriters and who might have said that. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I know this is uh, you know, a major influence on your own uh, musical history. And I am going to say Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> so close. Well, well, he's certainly known for rewriting songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, uh, we're not looking in the world of parody here, folks. So uh, when you're sharpening those pencils to write your answers down, I do not mean Weird Al anybody. So back to the question at hand. My song, Turning Away, you talked about it earlier with Chinatown being a love song to a place. Well, not only do I have another song that evokes E minor, C, G, and D, believe it or not, uh, I have a song that's a love letter to a place and a time. This is a song that I wrote uh, back in 1991-ish, 92, and it's, it's my, I don't know how you felt when you went through grade school, went through high school, went through college, and 
how I don't know how to even ask you without asking you, but I didn't really like grade school. I hated high school. <laughs> I probably had five or six good hours of high school. And when I finally got to college, I was just, I went from a, a Catholic grade school to a Catholic high school to dress however you want and do the things you want to do in college. I couldn't believe the difference. And I was just so attached to the idea of, you know, being in a big city and I, I would call Philadelphia a big city, but going from a little tiny little town and a, a very regimented high school situation to studying what I wanted to study in music and video and being on my own and you know as much as you are when you're you're still going home on weekends and you're not really but it's that first feeling of well I could really like live with a roommate and be in a city and, and study music and video and I get to do this again tomorrow and the day after that and it was a real a real eye-opening experience for me and when I look back especially compared to my, my roommate who stayed in, you know in town almost the entire time he was there he really got to explore and enjoy the city and I didn't do nearly as much of that as the song might make you think but turning away that song it's on my first CD it's the feeling of me really discovering going out with and breaking up with uh, a time in my life or a thing in my life and just where the song might sound like it's it's sung to a another person it's the the feeling of after two short years uh, it, it meant so much to me to be out there and to uh, to not have it anymore and the you've been a part of me for so long now I'd, I'd go on without you but i don't know how i can't believe that it's all gone that's that reeks of a, a young person's first or second try at writing a love song and it is a love song but it's it's the, of a don't won't have college anymore i don't have these friends anymore i don't have this experience being in a city and if some of it uh, pr some of it probably had something boiling under the surface that was about certain girls or certain relationships or the thought of them but th the more the song went on the more i recognized when i'm finishing this this really is me having to break up with the analogy of breaking up with someone and not seeing them again after you know two really great years the someone was 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 that time and I do it once in a while but I, I only played it in a band a handful of times and it's not a song that I really do with the Churchill so it's it's kind of a uh, a deep cut for me not not that somebody who has two recognizable songs to their credit everything's a deep cut but it's it's something I don't play a lot and I I probably it's probably one of my favorite songs of my own but as much as I say that it never gets played for some reason well, I'm going to suggest you bring it back because uh, because I think it is. Uh, so I'm surprised you say that that not that many people know it and ask about it. Um, I think um, I similar to what I had said uh, with some of your previous so uh, songs we've talked about is that I think that when somebody likes a song uh, of yours, it's a clue <laughs> <laughs> that they're probably not alone. So. Hint, hint. So I suggest you uh, bring it back. I realize you don't have as many opportunities in a band situation, but you play the mansion house by yourself, and I think that would, you know, that's exactly the kind of intimate and uh, you know crowd that I think would be a great place for you to play a song like that. Never imagined a feeling so strong, it's so hard to turn you away. With you, my future just doesn't belong. That doesn't help me today. It 
It's almost as if you were calling my name Still I could never reply Though you confess that you're feeling the same You can't take the tear from my eye You've been a part of me for so long now I go on without you but I don't know how I can't believe that it's all gone But I'll carry on Thank you. And, and now that I think about it out loud, uh, when somebody says, play an original, I, I go right to October and I think that's the one that I can play without making a lot of mistakes. It's it's something that I, I have the feeling that someone else in the audience might recognize it if they've come to see me. And I just go right to that low-hanging fruit. And that's a shame, too, because if I would start answering that request with three or four other songs that I feel have some merit, then maybe in a couple of years I'll have five songs somebody would know, and then you can sort of build off of that momentum and I don't know if uh, I forget who told me this years and years ago but it's that whole thing where your brain where your brain is divided into two sections the part that does the math problems and worries about business and critical thinking and the artistic side where you do these kind of things with songwriting and how you really can't have both operating at the same time and I'll blame it on this stupid business but as soon as I went into business for myself <laughs> Lori and I opened this store all of my, all 25 of my brain cells were like on guard. All right, business, business, business. And I have not felt creative in the songwriting realm in, in that many years. But uh, it, it's interesting where I'll play sometimes uh, at Platz's in, in Lehighton and, and some friends of mine will say, when are you going to come out with that next CD? And I just laugh like, if you had any idea how far removed I am from the artistic process that helps you take the first baby step towards what that whole thing requires and it just feels so so distant to me that to think about i mean this has taken two hours out of my work day to record a podcast and i feel like i'm three hours behind what i should be getting done it's not necessarily true but the feeling of you, you don't have enough time in the week to to do your work i don't know i, I could ask you the same are, are you actively poking around at writing new material these days or are, are you not I, it's it's tough well, it's tough, and and also, there are a lot of people have their songwriting salad days when they're younger, and you know I remember very clearly with Ed Bradley's interview with Bob Dylan, he was saying, "Darkness at the edge of noon," that the uh, it's all right, Ma. He was like, "I don't know who that kid was." Of course, Dylan continues to write songs, and you know his most recent albums have been highly praised, but. Uh, but that's one thing. Those kind of people, they've dedicated themselves to that, and the rest of us don't always get a chance to do that. I remember seeing J Jason Isbell talking about songwriting and how he and his wife will sit at opposite ends of the house and spend all day writing songs and then sharing with each other, and a great chunk of that stuff never sees the light of day. Mm. And that's just you know the way, just the way it is. I'm sure Carol King was the same way, and you know people, people that that. In, invest a great deal of time. For me, I have songs that pop up now and again. I will be walking down the street, something will pop in my head, and I'll actually record it on my phone. And I've got backlogs of these things on my phone that I saved a computer that I never have time to listen to. <laughs> and I'm sure some of them are, you know, little things that could 
be some lines from a song. Wow. I do have some I do have some songs that are kind of like Chinatown songs that have never been completed and I and I will as happened with Chinatown I will be walking down the street thinking it through and waiting for something to to come to mind and that does happen and then then suddenly the doors open oh. and then and then I'll go and I'll take that and try to fasten that bridge or that next thing or that that you know there's a, a song that I would love to finish but like Chinatown I like it so much I know the potential of it that I'm not going to rush it out and um, yeah and so you know that that stuff is there and I'll go back to it but sometimes the the, the walls just there sometimes you just do not have time to, to beat my head against that wall to get through uh, it's it is it's a difficult thing to do uh, when you have a lot of other things and um, as I used to say about uh, directing plays that when you're 28 you can have three jobs and only get paid well for one of them when you're 38 that gets harder and when you're 48 that's out of the question and so you know I I chose to go down the musical uh, route for my artistic expression uh, it doesn't cost me uh, you know, I don't have to raise thousands of dollars for rehearsal space and theater rental for one thing, huh. uh, to you know, or rely on other people to you know hire me to come in, and uh, to you know do stuff for them and all that. So I haven't done anything like that in a long time, except in an advisory capacity with certain people uh, who do like one woman shows and stuff like that. But I try to play. Um, the Highland Shatners, uh, minus our wonderful Penny Whistle bazooki player, are going to be uh, playing at Porch Stomp uh, coming up in uh, late June. That's a yearly thing where they go out to Governor's Island, which has these old Victorian houses that were usually originally built for naval officers. And it's, blue, it's bluegrass-based primarily, but different people playing on these different porches that are now like city park offices and uh, i'll be playing with the people from the bushwick book club show uh with the highland shatners we'll be doing a short set cool. of some bushwick book club songs um but our our own tunes um so i'll be doing that you know i still try to keep my hand in and uh just to kind of tie this all up i did a uh, you you talked about october coming at just coming just being born whole almost um I, uh, I heard from the woman who produces the Bushwick Book Club here in New York City, who started it all. They're in different cities around the country and, and over in Europe now. And she said they were going to do a show that was dedicated to Tennessee Williams' play, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And that was, I was actually uh, there to see Life in a Blender and Church of Betty, another longtime band uh, that's been around in New York City on and off forever. And... By the time I left the Lower East Side to take the subway home in Brooklyn, the, the basically the lyrics, the almost rap song, uh, non-musical yet lyrics of the song I wrote called Letters from Daisy, where it's from the point of view of the, because I knew that play inside and out, so I didn't have to read it again. Uh, I took the, the smallest character in the play, who was one of the African-American maids named Daisy, and who doesn't, you know, doesn't typically appear because most people don't want to cast that many extras these days. And did the uh, the story of the play through her eyes and huh. her 
picturing the character of Maggie, the cat, as she's often called, that Elizabeth Taylor plays in the movie, picturing her dilemma and and the uh, the, the the Southern family, the the drama involved in the Southern family's uh, struggles between the two brothers, you know, struggling for the succession as the father's, you know, about to pass away and all that stuff. And, and the whole thing just came into my head and it was basically, the lyrics basically done by the time I got home and it didn't take very long to, to uh, come up with the music and wow. probably wrote the whole thing in less than 24 hours. Um, so, huh. so it does happen sometimes. So I would encourage everybody out there who uh, likes to play around with songwriting, even if you've gone out of practice, uh, like Maury and I claim to have done, um, if something pops in your head, write it down. That's what Joni Mitchell always said. Write it down. Write it down on an envelope. Write it down right now because it's <laughs> not going to be there. You're going to think it's going to be there by the time you get home and it's not going to be there. Wow. And just write it down and, you know, and some of that stuff you'll never get back to and some of the stuff you, you will. So, and I'm saying this uh, not just to the people listening, but to the other guy at the other microphone. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll make it a, a, a point to before season three is over, we should get together and write a song together, even if it's long distance, just to see what it would sound like. That can be fun. I, you know, I've, I have, I've helped people write songs. I've never kind of really written songs with somebody. Back in the, my rock band days, uh, there were some songs that were, were band written, but not really. They were more somebody kind of brought it in and everybody else kind of, you know, deconstructed it and and but most usually the lyrics belong to one person but yeah that would be a fun experiment and i think other people out there have probably done this themselves or if they wouldn't wish they should so maybe you could they could reach out to some of their musical mates and see uh if they might be able to create something uh, a new song very cool well i do have one more song title i want to throw at you it's called trivia question and the answer all right, let's hear the, let's spin this platter for all the listeners out there with the uh, latest hit trivia question answer. <laughs> I bet you only like 20% know what platter is, but I, I loved what you meant. <laughs> um, okay, so my trivia question was, which famous songwriter is quoted to say that great songs aren't written, they're rewritten? The answer is... Paul Simon. Ah, well, very good. He's certainly one of uh, your favorite songwriters and one of my favorite songwriters. Uh, almost forget that, how, what a big part of my childhood uh, Simon Garfunkel was in his early solo albums. And Graceland, which now is a zillion years old, but I still kind of think of being a, a contemporary, at least to me. And, um, and I'm looking forward to hearing his new, new record. But yes, you know, Bob Dylan is also quite famous for, for digging deep into poetry and folk songs, English folk songs particularly, and finding inspiration and modernizing, you know, kind of taking it in and using his own filters to, to write his version of it. And uh, that's, you know, not unusual. People have been doing that, you know, since Moses was a boy, as they say. So very, that's a great quote to end with. Um, for uh, inspiration out there, folks. Well, you are my inspiration, Spoon. And all kidding aside, I really did enjoy this episode. We've been talking about it for months. And although I was afraid we might not have enough time to get it all done, I think we squeezed in a lot of great content. 
And I, I learned a lot about the songwriting process from you, especially, you know, stuff I, I thought I knew enough about those tunes. And, and it just goes to show you, you could think all you want to think, but there's probably something you don't know about your favorite songs. And let us know in the comments below your favorite songs. If you've heard anything that I've done or that Spoon's done, let us know what really resonates with you. And uh, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. And please, if you found any value here, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We might even read your review on the air. Our friend Colin writes, Wow, that was a really interesting show. I learned so much I had no idea about. The only thing I knew is that East Indian Rosewood is better than mahogany. And he puts an emoji there that looks kind of a little bit funny, but I want to tell you right now, I couldn't wait to read a review that agrees with me that Rosewood is better than Mahogany. And if you think I'm not right, look up Colin, and you'll know he knows his stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, Colin is a, a highly respected uh, music journalist, if those of you are not unfamiliar with him. so uh... <laughs> And he's a lefty. <laughs> yes, yes, he's a lefty. Good on you, Colin, uh, mate. And, uh, you know, come on, you Irons. He's also, uh, he's the guy that turned me on to West Ham United, the football club that I follow now. So, but anyway, thanks very much for this. I had a great fun talking about uh, songwriting and, and I, it is inspiring. So I think I'm, I may have to dust off some of those old, uh, old pieces of paper and start uh, getting back at it. Well, here's a lyric I'm working on for a long time now. From all of us at Mari's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Mori's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. <laughs>